This is Wayne McCullough reporting in from Simple Talk Radio here in Dallas, Texas, dusting off the microphone after a long break. We did have one recording during what I would call the COVID era, although I believe we're still in it. Um, But I am back. It's something we're into the new year. So today is January 12th, 2022. And part of the reason I'm sitting here is because I want to do more things I enjoy in the new year. And one of those is getting in front of this microphone and talking to you people. And again, I'm so thankful for those that actually dial in and listen. I hope you're encouraged and learning and you can always reach out to me. So with that, um, we are here again with the Simple Talk. If you remember, the Simple Talk show is founded on five principles, the big five F's in my life, which are faith, family, friends, fitness, and finances. Um, Ironically, my guest today will hit on all of those Faith, family, friends, fitness, and finances. Um, so today, this is one of the first family members I've ever had, in, which is my aunt, Betsy Price. Welcome, Betsy. Nice to be here, Wayne. It's great to see you. So if you don't know, Betsy is the former mayor of Fort Worth. It's hard for me to say because she was there so long. Um, Ten years, the longest-serving mayor of Fort Worth, correct? That's correct, yeah. Um, and so, again, let's, make, let's connect the um, roots to the tree here. So Betsy is my mother's sister um, from four children. So her um, parents were my grandparents, uh, who I cared for deeply. I'm named after her father, which is Wayne Cornelius, and I'm Wayne Cornelius McCullough. And so now a lot of you may be learning for the first time that my middle name is Cornelius, which um, is a, it seems to be an unusual name that you don't hear a lot because of the reactions I get. It's a biblical name, though. Yes, correct. The, the soldier Cornelius in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, uh, one quick side note, Kevin Ebeling is producing us today. Kevin, good to be back. Good to see you, Wayne. KEPX Studios, uh, although we'll be in our current studio only about two more weeks. This will probably be, might be the last time you're in here. Yeah, the swan song. Uh, But Kevin's awesome. So, and I give him a shout out. If any of you out there ever consider doing this, I was on the fence for a long time. He works with my sister Libby, who we're trying to get out of retirement as well. So Kevin, thank you and uh, congrats on your success. Thank you, Wynn. Okay, so we'll work through some Genesis background, our relationship, um, you know, let, let's do talk about the Genesis, and, 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 and listeners, I do want to say, you know, I, I try to be what's somewhat apolitical on this show, and really in my life, I am a money manager by trade, I have people on both sides of the aisle, but I think Betsy and I would align more on just authenticity, being genuine, and that people need to be kinder to each other, for one thing, that the political parties have have raced to one side of the aisle, and that needs to be fixed over time. It's one thing I've loved about Betsy. And, and the, the interesting thing is, mayor, you don't really run under a political That's flag. correct. The mayors are, are nonpartisan. Of course, I had served as the Tarrant County tax assessor for right. 10 and a half years before that, and the tax assessor is a partisan race, so clearly people knew that right. I was on the conservative side, on the Republican side. Right. Okay, so that's, that's a great way to jump back a little bit. Let's talk about... Um, the, so the the path, so the background, you know, clearly born and raised in Fort Worth, um, went to Heights with my mother, where she graduated as well. But I, I so high school, college. There's two things I want to look at. One is, if I remember this correctly, your path, UT Arlington. So we're both UT grads. Is um, 
you went to college with the idea of being a veterinarian. I did. That's correct. So tell, just as, as, as briefly as you can from wanting to be a veterinarian, then to work with your father, my grandfather at the lot, and then we can get in tax sector. But I'd love for you to talk about our grandfather a little bit and grandmother, but big we got to call him Big Big Wayne because my Wayne. my son is Wayne Jr. So I call Granddad Big Big Wayne. And you were Little Wayne right. to all of us for forever. So, um, you know, Granddad had an interesting path of getting into the vehicle or the used car business. So, but maybe how you went from that pivot from okay, I'm not going to be a veterinarian to get into being a businesswoman in the title business. Sure. I mean, I went to Texas Tech when I graduated from uh, Arlington Heights for a year and a half, uh-huh. and. My parents had, Wayne and Elizabeth, as you Mm -hmm. said, Big Wayne, had three of us in college at the same time, and I was low man on the totem pole, being the youngest in the family, and the car business took a major nosedive in the early 70s, and Dad said, you have to come home. You come home and go to UTA until your sister or your brother gets out of school and the business picks up again, and you go back to tech, and in the interim, because I was a vet major at tech, Mm -hmm. And in the interim, I transferred back to UTA and worked a little bit for my dad at the office then and um, started dating my husband at UTA. And I've had him 50 years, and it probably was a good choice. And along the way, I applied to vet school and Mm -hmm. got accepted. But Tom said, I'm tired of school. I'm ready to go to work. I'm ready for us to do a little traveling. And, of course, when you're in love and 21 years old, you that's what you do. And, you know, we just laugh and say we make plans and God laughs and has other plans for us. And mm-hmm. that's kind of life takes strange twist. And that's kind of how I got back in Fort Worth and stayed in Fort Worth and married Tom right after I graduated. And um, like I said, we've been married nearly 50 years now. And I came back and I had we had three children mm-hmm. and I pretty much just did volunteer work when the kids were little and when my dad retired from the car business and my brother took it over, my mother was working for uh, them at the doing the office, and she just said, I need some help. And I worked for her, and then I started a small business on the side on my own, a, a title service working for about 50 of the car dealers in Tarrant County. That's how I ended up in the tax office, because I was really irritated that the tax office was so poorly run. And I kept saying, I mean, be careful what you say. I kept saying to my clients, somebody has to fix this office. Mm-hmm. And finally, after several months, they said that somebody needs to be you. You just need to run for it. And I'd never thought about getting out of the business world and into the political world. Although, Wayne, you're well aware of this, that my parents, particularly my mother, were very big on pushing you to do community service. Mm-hmm. You know, we did PTA, we did Junior League, we did Junior Club, we taught Sunday school, we did all kinds of things. And give some, Daddy always said, give something back to your community. And so I looked at running for office as being able to do public service to give something back. And we did it. We straightened out the tax office and had a great run there. Okay, because I want to come back to that because there's a great story about fixing <laughs> or improving the tax office. So, um, yes, and I should have said earlier, you've got. Three awesome children. Um, I'm close with all of them and grandchildren. And I know that's six just, great grandkids. Right. Not great, but six wonderful grandchildren. Yeah. And they're the light of my life. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So t- let's let's camp out on our, our your father, my grandfather, Big Big Wayne, because it's interesting. 
how did he get into the car business? Or tell the listeners, because I have a general idea. But. Sure. He was at, stationed at Randolph Field in mm-hmm. San Antonio during the war. My father quit school when he was in the senior year and joined the Army because his, his brother, who he just loved dearly, was in the Army already. And this was before World War II broke out. And he has a real talent for mechanics. Mm-hmm. And he worked on airplanes. And then he got back out of the service. And when World War II broke out, he enlisted again. And he never got shipped overseas during the war because he was teaching uh, soldiers how to repair the aircrafts. That was his specialty. He had a specialty where he worked on the motors. And when he got out, when the war was over, and they, he and mother and your mother mm-hmm. and my other sis, aunt, sister, Aunt Margaret, uh, moved back to Gulfway the small time they were in. And Dad opened a garage and did mechanics and on the side just dealed in he's that my father could have sold ice to Eskimos yeah he was truly a, a salesman and when they were in Randolph Field he also sold motorcycles along to other soldiers and fixed them up and sold them he got into it in Gulfway and he came to Fort Worth in 45 because of the bomber plant which is Lockheed Martin the expansion of the bomber plant mm-hmm. and everybody was leaving small West Texas towns and he just said, all those folks are going to need vehicles, and I'm going to go to Fort Worth and sell them. Cornelius Motor Sales was born. That's right, in the fall which, of 45. Which stood there until, what, when did Butch sell, mm-hmm. which is my uncle Betsy's sister? 2020. Uh, yeah, 1945-2020, pretty amazing. Long time. And, and I'm glad to know that Gulfway part. Um, I uh, was unaware that he started up a mechanic shop there. Yeah, I'd love to know where that was. Had a garage in Gulfway. Um, and, and for the listeners, I have a. It's, I just was talking to somebody about this. They were asked, "Where are you happiest?" And I have an infinity for Gulfway, Texas. Most it's of us I, do. So, because my father, for the listeners, my, was from there as well. Is and then, of course, our grandfather had a ranch, or Betsy's father, and it was this connectivity there that was, frankly, random. That my mom ended up marrying a Gulfway guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike McCullough, who, who that is. So I love going there. We still have property there, as a matter of fact. Yeah, Gulfway's figured large in our family's life because both sets of your great-grandparents were also from Gulfway, from yeah. Mills County. My grand, my great-grandfather was the first, your great-great-grandfather was the first county judge in Mills County. Oh, I don't know if I knew that. And my father's father served on the school board in Mills County. And we have uh, many family members buried there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Grandma and granddad are both are there. Are both buried yeah. there. As and then well my as folks' parents. parents. And, yeah. yeah. Um, I've been to that plot many times. Okay, so that gets you into the title business, which then gets you into um, seeing the inner workings of the tax office. And, and this is the way I feel about so many things. You, you almost you saw the way it worked, and you're like, is the tax assessor collector actually – using his own service because if he is he must not care right it's how i feel when i won't call a local phone company out but like does the ceo ever use, use call the 1-800 number because he would lose his mind like i'm about to um it's kind of like so, your credit card if right. you ever get scammed and you have to call and report a fraud so, you might as well realize they don't listen to what right. their people are saying what i love is what you did is you came in and and you know you want to be careful here but you 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 rooted out um, entitlement. Yeah. 
or however, like you said, I went to the bowels of the system. And I think some of the officers were literally were underground. Yeah. It's like, what is everybody doing? Right. So explain that process a little bit of, and that's a, that's a 400 pound gorilla. I mean, how many employees were there? 182 when I took right. office. Uh, and who knows what everybody's doing and does anybody even care? And they work for the citizens, by the way, is what's ironic. They right? work for the taxpayer. Yeah. So tell us, you know, at a high level, how did you even get your head around that or well, hands? Well, having worked with them, I knew and having been kind of in, I mean, I'd been doing it for 17 years working with them and it had just slid, the tax office had really slid into a huge bureaucracy, mm-hmm. millions and millions budget 182 people spread out over seven locations countywide and they just got complacent with what they were doing and they forgot that they are customer service and so when I came in I had a meeting with all my managers and just said tell me what you see what's wrong with this operation I'll tell you what I think and let's think real creative and real innovative. And anybody who isn't willing to change needs to tell me now. And they need, you need to not let the door hit you on the way out mm-hmm. because we're going to change this operation. The average wait time in the tax office was about 48 minutes when I took office. And when I left, the average wait time in that office was eight minutes. Mm. It was a huge change. And we had cut the staffing to 175, cut the budget by nearly 200 yeah, about two hundred thousand, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound like much, but it was a it was a lot at that twenty years ago. Uh, won the awards all over the nation for being the most efficient. We just strictly we called our banker in and said we need to be more efficient. We need to do electronic, and you got to realize twenty years ago, ACH transfers and clearing mm-hmm. your check or paying even with credit cards for government just wasn't being done in any level. And we did it, and we were further out on the cutting edge. I used to say we're on the cutting edge, and my staff would say we're on the bleeding edge and down about three pints. Mm-hmm. But they got inspired about what they could do and why they were there. You just had to remind them periodically that they are serving the public, and they, they need to get up every morning and come fired up to help people. Because people come into the tax office, either have a problem with their car title, a problem with their license, a problem with their liquor license, or a problem with their property taxes. Mm-hmm. And they need help. And all my staff was supposed to be educated to help them, and we were able to turn it around. You know, in a lot of those situations, too, aren't, you know, the sudden um, minor issues that have serious effects on people's life, right? I yeah. mean, maybe you're delinquent for this reason, or, you know, it's, yeah. Um, it's very expensive on the property tax side. Once you, if you miss a deadline, right. the penalties and interest add up very quickly. And it, property taxes are a burden for people, mm-hmm. and so they're not happy when they're coming in anyway. And they need help understanding the system. It's not an easy system to really understand. People forget they have to protest their value if they mm-hmm. want a reduction. They forget that the elected officials are actually responsible for the tax rate and for cutting that. And you're responsible for seeing that they're staying on top of that. Well, it's why I give my my IT department so much grace. No one's ever called the IT department. Because I I give them compliments and called them and said, hey, I just want to call you and tell you my computer is awesome today. You only call when you're hacked, 
right? Like literally hacked or just upset. So I tried to call my IT people because I knew they would be the backbone of what we were doing. That's we yeah. were going to turn the tax office around, not just the motor vehicle side, but the property side. It was going to be through the use of technology. And yeah. I talked to my IT people every day and thanked them because clearly we were asking them 20, 18 years ago to stretch. And they were very proud of what they did. Well, congratulations on that work. So then this is, this is a great time to step into the next, to the next level, which was the mayor, um, which is, a, is, 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 is involved as the tax assessor collector was. That's a whole nother it's step. It's a different I mean, level altogether. You're going, into the, to the, um, you're going into the stratosphere of politic, politics as well as, you know, the, what is Fort Worth, the what, 12th largest 12th city? 12th largest. And mm-hmm. at the time, it, it was, was 17th, 17th largest 10 years ago. Um, and that's just going to keep changing. So, but what I want to hear from you on that is, one, was, were some people pushing you that way? Two, as I have you told us before, the, the religious side of that, I mean, you know, stepping off into the darkness and hoping the stairs are still there, right? So what, how you got the courage to do that? Well, you know, when I we straightened out the tax office, mm-hmm. and, and it was very easy after eight, ten years of running it. I mean, you kind of, while we were still making changes and trying to be innovative and creative, you do get a little bit more on autopilot. Mm-hmm. And the tax office is an elected position, but it's an administrative position. So it, uh, county officials are administrative and have a salary. And, it, you know, it's not a bad salary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked probably 10 hours, 11, 12 hours a day by the time I left. And I kept getting recruited. People kept coming in and going, when the mayor retires, we want you to run. You mm-hmm. need to fix the city finances. You need to fix the pension. You need to change the culture at the city, just like you did here. And I kept saying, I don't think so, because being mayor is, is, as you said, a total different stratosphere. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an on-demand, 24-7 a day job, and everybody knows you, which is a good thing. I mean, I love people better than nearly anything. Mm-hmm. But it kept coming, and it kept coming, and I kept saying to my family, uh, my to Tom and the kids, do you think I ought to do this? The push is strong. And they said, oh, Mom, that's a total difference. You have lost all anonymity and autonomy mm-hmm. once you become the mayor. And I said, I know, but You know, as Tom said, it's not about, it's always about the service with your mother. Plus, the mayor's job doesn't have a salary or pays $29,000 a year. And I worked on average as mayor, on average, 14, 15 hours a day, Mm. six days a week, and not on Sundays unless I had to. But we finally, the push was so strong that I finally said to Tom, we need to go see our minister, Mm -hmm. who at that time he was retiring, was teaching our Sunday school class. And I literally walked in the door, and he looked at me and said, I knew you were coming to see me, and I know you have a door open for you, and I do believe you need to step through it. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the crowning decision that if he felt that strongly about it and had already sensed it, that we really should. I mean, it's kind of thing you pray about things, and you can't quite get the answer, but they keep coming, and they keep coming, and then you have somebody that you really respect and the faith world confirm it for you. And you, so we went back and said, okay. And you 
uh, ran, I believe. The first one was contested. Obviously. Oh, yeah. 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 It, there were five people, six people in that first race. You got to run off in the first race, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. I had a runoff when I ran for tax assessor the first time also. Yeah. It's a bad habit. I need to just win them outright. So we're going to build up to where Betsy is and what she is running for right now. But So 10 years. Um, one thing is, did you begin, because I think it's super important. I'm a, I'm a big Jim Collins fan. He wrote a book called From Good to Great. Right. Um, fabulous book. I it's highly encourage My readers know how I feel about it. And we just had my team retreat. We did a day and a half out in East Texas. The, a lot of the success of any business, or I'd even say government organization, is, is he would say getting the right people in the right seat on the bus. That's correct. Right? So did you – were you beginning to think about the team you would build out as you went into office? Like, do you, is that plan who you – I mean, obviously campaign manager, but, you know, chief of staff – and then you probably appointed some positions within the government, right? Or right. within the government yeah. body. Yeah. Well, to some extent, yeah. I knew and had planned out the, the type of person that I would need right. to make the changes, to make, to have the backbone to stand up to some of the groups that had pushed the council around and, and right. made some poor decisions to, to say, we're going to straighten this city budget out and we're mm-hmm. going to straighten this pension out. I didn't have specific people in mind because there were people in those jobs at the city in the mayor's office, and I wanted a chance to see, could they see the vision? Right. Could, could they catch the fire? And if not, where were they going to go? Uh, most of them are, the county, they're all civil service. Mm-hmm. The city, they, it's not true civil service, but there's you know kind of a stair-step hierarchy. Um, and as it turned out, several of them were more than ready to make changes. They'd mm-hmm. been frustrated with where they were and what was going on. Several of them were not, and they ended up moving. A couple of them retired. They were retirement age, and a couple of them moved to other departments. Um, city manager was there on an interim basis. We appointed him to be the city manager for two more years because he was getting ready to retire, and then we searched for a city manager did a national search and brought him in. The council and the mayor actually hired the city manager. And I've been very pleased with the city manager because he had the same vision that we did to move this city from, mm-hmm. as you said, for the book, from good to great. Right. So, um, okay. So you get in office. You've, you've alluded back to the pension and um, right the budget a couple times. I do – I personally believe this, too. We just had, once again, coming out of my team meeting – there's so many things that you can try to fix. Mm-hmm. It sometimes is best practice to say, I'm going to attack these one or two first with all my vigor before we move on to the potholes right. or whatever it is, right? Because that happens to me at work. I've got so much going on all the time. I can find myself just getting lost in the forest, right? And I can't even see the tree. Yeah, you just forget what your vision is. Right. If you're and particularly in the mayor's office, everybody wants a piece of the mayor. Right. Everybody, and everybody I mean, wants you something fixed, right? Twenty four hours and everybody wants something fixed or something changed. And you could get lost real quick and mm-hmm. you have to once a week what to start out with we did once a week, are we on the right track? And what are we doing here? We laid out the priorities from the campaign excuse me, and said, these are the ones we'll start with. 
And it's kind of like the old adage, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You just pick the key areas that you need to work on. First and foremost, when you come in as a new mayor, is is building your rapport with your council members Mm -hmm. and figuring out where they are and what they want, and then working with the department heads. And and we picked a couple of key areas, one of them being the financial side and the other being uh, planning and development. So uh, let me, because I always just want to give the listeners why, how or why things are done, where they operate, that could actually influence their business, even though it's a, it's a municipality. I was reading that you increased the number of council members. That's happening this with or that was one of election. your yeah. one of your initiatives. Yeah. Why why is that? It could be. It seems to be a game changer to some extent. And or it's a little dicey because smaller councils are a little hard, a little easier to get a consensus mm-hmm. and good rapport. But the city grew. We grew 350,000 people in the mm-hmm. tent. That's another city within itself. Yeah. And we just really were not representing. We had two, each council member had too many people they represent. Mm-hmm. They had too big a geographic territory to really realistically represent them very well to be. I'm not, I don't believe you govern sitting behind a desk. Mm-hmm. I've always believed you, if you're going to govern, you have to be out among the public. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing for your council people. They have to be out in their district meeting them. And if it's huge, it's almost impossible for them to get out and do everything. So we added, we will add two more council members with the 2022, 2023 election um, because it, they'll represent fewer people. Right. So I appreciate that. It really is done for the benefit of the people. At the end it of the is. Day, which is yeah. why you should be there in the first place. Right. If right. you're not going to serve the public, right. then you better not run for office. We have far too many people who have run for office who are there for self-gratification and not for serving the public. I never consider myself a politician. I'm a public servant. So um, one thing, and this is on my mind because it's something that I struggle with, how do you deal with criticism? Because it's truly, and it's gotten infinitely worse, not for you, for any public servant, right? Do you just ignore it? I mean, Criticism from friends and family is one thing, yeah. which is constructive or feedback. But you guys are getting crushed all the time, be it on Facebook, Instagram, wherever. I mean, I followed all your posts on throughout. I just I wanted you to turn the comments off, but y'all didn't on your when you would do your Facebook feeds. But what do you you seem to handle that very well? Well, there's a group of people that criticize you the tr- on social media, particularly yeah. because there's a whole group of commonly referred to as the trolls, the trolls yeah. who either don't live in your community or, you know, aren't interested, really interested. They're just to, the detractors. And you learn pretty quickly who they are. And mm-hmm. you just kind of, you listen to what they're saying, but you kind of just put it aside. The real criticism that comes from your residents and your citizens of your city, you you need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. You have to. I mean, it wasn't unusual for me if I could find their number to pick the phone up and call them. Or, and say, come see me or tell me exactly what's going on here. Now, you can't respond to everything like that. Mm. You have to learn pretty quickly who's, are they just mad because their ox got gored? But you also have to be certain that the decisions that you're making are made with really good input. I, you know, I believe God gave you two ears and one mouth for, for a reason. Mm-hmm. You listen twice as much as you talk. Mm-hmm. 
And when you're making decisions that impacts people's life, you better get out and hear what the people are saying. And once you make those decisions, if you've had adequate input, you have to stand by your decision. You just can't let the naysayers uh, weigh you down. Yeah, I've so, always believed and always had enough faith that, and worked from enough input that I felt like my decisions were generally pretty strong. But you're clearly never going to make everybody happy. Yeah, so it's to me, it's discerning. I hate to use it, pop art, the haters versus the people that you should listen right. to. Um, and then I think you would say faith and you've got a group of family and friends that loves you no matter what, mm-hmm. right? Those are the people that you need to listen to. Yeah. Um, okay, so I do want to fast forward towards the end of your tenure as mayor. So I was under the impression that you would have been, everything was where you wanted it to some extent, as much as you can. You're going to ride off in the sunset. And we rolled right into COVID, which is something that the world really has never seen in, in, in the modern era anyway. Of course, the world's seen pandemics, but not in any of our, our lifetime. Um, and then, obviously, uh, social unrest, which was a huge deal, police shootings. And y'all dealt with your own in Fort Worth, mm-hmm. which I think you handled very well. Um, my gosh. So I just want to... No one, I think, I'm, I mean, I remember coming home from spring break in 20, and it was teetering, and then I'll, I'll never forget the president came on, and they canceled the NBA season, and I, I just, it became like a Twilight Zone episode, quite literally. Yeah, nobody could have ever guessed where yeah. we were going. I remember meeting, we shut down businesses mid-March, mm. and a couple of weeks later issued the, or maybe the mask order came first, and mm. then... And we were following the guidelines from the Trump White House mm-hmm. and from Austin, from the Capitol, from Governor Abbott. But every each mayor of the large cities and the county judge have the responsibility at that time for really issuing the orders. And I remember meeting, I believe it was March 12th, with our restaurant owners and saying, I don't think we're going to see a shutdown, because mm-hmm. at that point, I really did not believe we would see a shutdown. But I do think you're going to have masks, and I think you're going to have less crowding, move your tables apart, and various and sundry things. And the very next day came the order to shut down. So no, COVID was essentially the great unknown. Mm-hmm. We've had other pandemics in this world, and but none quite like this, because no one knew anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody knew what this virus really was going to do and where it was. But the real reality of it is nobody liked the shutdowns. It Mm -hmm. probably was the hardest decision I've ever had to make. And it worried me more than anything. But it saved lives because there were no vaccinations. There was almost no testing available. Mm -hmm. And our hospitals were really overflowing. If you had been involved in a car accident, your chances of surviving it to get in the hospital and get care mm-hmm. at the peak when we shut everything down, where it's going to be slim. You cannot do that to your medical people. Mm-hmm. You have to get, and every medical person at every university, every med school, every hospital was saying, you got to give us some relief here. you got to give us a chance to get a little back on this and see where it's going and what's going on. So I didn't, you know, I didn't like shutting it down, but we did it. The county judge issued the first order. The governor issued an order, then the county judge, and then because Fort Worth sits in four different counties, we had to follow up with an order that would be the same for all Fort Worth residents, yeah. no matter which county you were in. 
So, you know, it's a, you and I could get into this offline, but I think the, the shutdowns are, I understand the tactic. I think it, they come with their own set of dire circumstances Absolutely, that they could do. outpace the pandemic over a number of Which years. Which is why we, Fort Worth, lifted, right. and Tarrant County lifted ours quicker than any other major city. And I think you see more of the conservative-leaning cities lift, right. no lifted question. quicker. And I've always been passionate. I've written letters about the the child side. So it's not science verse. It's fentanyl is the number one killer of children under the age of 20 in America. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Over car accidents, anything. Fentanyl, it's, which yep. is drug abuse, which is really related to... Um, to um, Xanax, but we can get into that some other time. But uh, did, my sisters just implored me to think everyone was doing the best they could with the information they had. That's correct. Um, I do think it's obviously produced to me, which is an area I live in this podcast, is America needs to get their um, their health in order as well. That's easier said than done, but you're a Blue Zone person. I think could the death rate be cut in half if type 2 diabetes wasn't <clears throat> rampant in our country? Maybe. Right or obesity, and this is not fat shaming <laughs> yeah. at all. I no, mean, it's, it's just not. taking personal responsibility. COVID is a my business partner's father is perfectly healthy, and he's in ICU right now with COVID. So trust me, I'm a believer. Um, but I do think you can in life in general. You should always be doing everything you can to help yourself be prepared for anything. Yeah, I, I really think, and you know that I've always been a big proponent on community health. Right. Hence the fact that Fort Worth's the largest blue zone certified. That we had Fit Worth, our program for mm-hmm. our kids, because for 20 years I've watched the kids in public schools get more sedentary and more obese, and kids who are sickly, mm-hmm. so to speak, which is not really the proper term, but people will get that don't learn as well as kids Mm -hmm. who come to school healthy, awake, ready to learn. And that impacts, and their parents who are in poor health, impacts Mm -hmm. our workforce too. So selfishly, if nothing else, as mayor, you look at it and say, what's the future of our workforce if we don't improve Mm -hmm. community health? People make their own choices. I'm a huge one believer in personal responsibility, but if we can make the easy, the better choice easier, better streets, better sidewalks, better lighting in mm-hmm. neighborhoods so that people do get out. And I think it shows in COVID, if the postmortem on COVID is going to show that people who were more active and tended to eat a little better, just had better mental health overall, better connection to a faith community, fared better. Well, yeah, if you're long, I mean, one of the big things, one, one of the, like the mass mandate where what it is, what it is, I'm, I'm fine with the mass mm-hmm. mandate. Well, let me rephrase that. I'm fine with anybody who can wear a mask that wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there probably was a place in time where, for There was it. a place in time to demand it, but, but when, not when now. they come out and say you should wear two masks because it's better, I would say go work on your VO2 max. That's right. I mean, let's start teaching people that walk two miles a day at a brisk pace because if your lungs are stronger, I, my minimal science say you could withhold an attack better or a cytokine storm. So nonetheless, we don't want to get too far down in that rabbit hole, except I, I know that it was a tough time. And then in middle of that, if anybody can believe it, we have, you know, riots across the U S and understand what understanding what the frustration was and why those boiled up. Um, boy, is that, that's a difficult one because you're trying to be thoughtful to those people, but you also can't just abandon the police and, you know, what? 
you know, I don't know. I, it, first it, it, and foremost, you have to support your police. Right. The whole movement to defund police was, without exception, the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Okay. The cities who did it, and I'll just be real honest with you, their violent crime rate has just gone uh, through the roof. Yeah. Those of us who did not, who either expanded our police but or kept them the same, uh, the violent crime is up everywhere and child abuse is up everywhere, partly from the stress of COVID, mm -hmm. loss of jobs and things, but not like it is in those cities who defunded their police. But police aren't perfect. They're mm -hmm. just like you and me. They're human. And they're forced to make really, really tough decisions in the spur of the moment. Mm -hmm. We had a tragic shooting from a young officer who will probably spend the rest of his life uh, paying for this. And it was a tragic loss of an incredibly intelligent young woman. Mm. And it was a snap decision mistake. I think you have to, and our police chief will agree, and our POA will agree, you have to have the right training, you have to have the right screening, you have to have the right support for your police department. And they have to be connected in the community. And we have great community outreach and we're doing more and more of it than we've ever done before. And I think you're seeing that in all the major cities, a little better understanding between police and citizens of how to interact with each other. Mm -hmm. And it's like everything to me, you know, it, uh, my team is working on this a lot and I keep referencing that, but I, I realize mm -hmm. as we've gotten a lot bigger, the, the assets we manage are getting more significant process is becoming incredibly mm -hmm. important. Like what is, and I know they do this in police training, but you know, I think probably maybe it's time to relook at some of that, which I think a lot of forces are like, what yeah. is our process? You engage, you did, you know, it's not, not that they had this, but it's not shoot first and find out what's going on later. Yeah. I think, right? I think a lot of it uh, really is just a, a re-understanding of how do you interact with yeah. people and remember huge amounts of the interactions that police had, they're dealing with people with mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And, and if you've got a, somebody that you're called on a mental health issue, you better darn sure hope that your police officers have been, they're not physicians, but you are mental health experts. You better hope that they've had some exposure to how to deal with those people. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough, tough place to be. It's been a, you know, I, I get, I would get concerned during these times, but then I'm a huge student of history. Um, the sixties is one of my favorite eras. Um, I was a student of the, the Vietnam war. Uh, if you go back and look at some of those videos, it's, I mean, it was madhouse then. I mean, it, we, we had us troops shooting college students. College students. I mean, mm -hmm. people forget that was, that. that was way out. I mean, like way out of control. I mean, way over the line. So it isn't the first time right. it's happened in America. It just is the first time it's happened with the level of publicity that you have now. Well, yeah, hence even the pandemic itself. Mm -hmm. We've had pandemics before. I'd say even swine flu or bird flu. The, but the we've never had pandemics where kids weren't in school. True. And parents weren't, weren't at work. And you didn't have even social media from 15 years mm -hmm. ago is, is, you know, it dictates so much. I mean, it's why I'm off for, it's why this show won't be promoted for 20 days because I'm off for 21 days. I just said I got to have a reset. You do sometimes. Um, and you, you just had, you have a message coming out of Washington that was very divisive at the time, which mm -hmm. people couldn't get a handle on where things were. Which I just, America was just at a tough spot the last two, so four years. When I, uh, 
and I don't I don't want to use the word libertarian because I've moved more towards of just generally leave me alone. Um, I mean, governments serve a purpose and a wonderful one. My worry with things like COVID, and I could be misguided here, and, it, I, and you, I want you to tell me, because I'm not a conspiracy theorist. As a matter of fact, I think too many of them create anxiety and negativity and division. Um, but I worry that once government gets a taste of more control, they don't like to let that go. They don't like to it's let been it the, go. It's been the history in European countries, yeah. but yeah. and really even in America, it just gets bigger and bigger. That was my one of my worries of like a lockdown situation of, I don't know. You know, I, I think you're own to something. I, I do think that once government gets its hand in your pocket, in your right. life to say so, it's hard for them to let it go. It's hard, for, and it's hard oftentimes for people to let that go. Less government is always better. The less interference, government has a role. They protect the borders, defend the land, mm -hmm. deliver the mail, so to speak and they can facilitate your needs as streets roads neighborhood mm -hmm. sidewalks but they shouldn't be in as much social business as they are and i think that's been the big fear but i think that with the shutting business down and masking and some of those people really came to the realization that this was overreach mm -hmm. and yes it was overreach that saved a lot of lives at the time, but there also is a time to let it go. Now, the parties are very divided on that. You still see that, but I think you see a growing movement of people who realize that we don't need, in America, we've never lived under government that mm -hmm. controls your life. Yeah, and I just was speaking with a brilliant man from um, from the Netherlands, uh, has lived in Germany, the Netherlands, and, and throughout Europe, and I just, it dawned on me he would tell you that basically every European country is social is a socialist mm -hmm. country. If you really, they can call it what they want. And it's, and there's always, a, there's always a level of socialism in any, in any government, even the U S right. Um, but I just, for the first time I've realized there aren't many of us left that are democracies. There aren't many I democracies mean, really, or republics left. If you look around, even our, I mean, I guess England, but you know, even, I don't know. There aren't many left. There aren't aren't as many as there used to be. Yeah. That is true. Uh, so and it's it's a little bit of a scary thought when you start thinking about that. Right, and I'm I'm just a believer in, in, in American ingenuity, and you know that's the that's where I struggle with. Musk is insane, but part of me loves what he represents yeah. too. Right. Um, that's that's the conundrum for those of us who do love that ingenuity. Right. Is is you often get people that are very different but they're what they stand for and so, the policies they bring can change things right so you know one i just want listeners to know this is once again it's not a political conversation it's just a conversation yeah. um everybody has emotions and feelings tied to these things i will say this all i ever rooted for um was i would say this the and, and this shouldn't sound kind of sending the least of us because i believe they the the people in poverty or even the students of um, less superior school districts, they end up holding the bag on a lot of this. They do. Um, and, you know, where, where a lot of people in the demographic that is, a, that is more affluent, they could learn from home, you know, right? And so... The, yeah, I mean, think about the lower income communities right. had very little broadband. And yeah. if they did, they were paying out 
proportionate in their income. Right. It was costing them a fortune. It broke my heart, and I knew we had to take part of these dollars that came down from Washington to go out into neighborhoods and see kids sitting on the sidewalk of their school, their mm -hmm. junior high, their high school, doing their homework because or doing their lessons because they couldn't do it at home because they didn't have Internet mm -hmm. access. So they would walk to the school or have somebody take them. And you'd see them sitting all the time. And I thought, we got to change this. We've got to get this. And that was true even before COVID, but it was definitely pronounced during COVID. Yeah, and maybe, you know, that's what I think some good could come all of it, just the changes need to be made. I think I have seen people that are really investing in their health. So, okay, yeah. let's let's fast forward. You, you made it through all that by the grace of God. Um, I, I think most people would agree, if not majority you did an incredible job with the city thank you clearly the the people kept electing you so something was going right um okay so now you are running for county judge okay my commentary there would be one i would argue that 24 to 36 months ago the average citizen didn't really even know what a county judge or what they did it was highly escalated through the pandemic clearly in this town um because jenkins took such a superior role we'd see him in ebola as well but um well, let's just you're running for county judge it will be contested um and explain what that role is and then why i mean i think the why is you want to continue to oversee or help push forward things that you had in motion but maybe even start okay with the why. Yeah. And yeah. then and then what does the county judge do? Because I don't think a lot of people know. No, people don't know what the county judge does. You'd be shocked at the number of people who go, you're not an attorney. How are you going to be a Correct. judge? Yeah. Well, it's not a judge. It's an administrative position. And they also you think you to... sit in like a judge. That's right. Like, that's not true. You have to think if the county judge is being the mayor for the county. Right. The coordinator for the whole county. The reason I'm running is largely because I have been this community, Tarrant County in Fort Worth is my home. I mean, mm -hmm. I was born there and they'll bury me there. I'm passionate about it. It's my children, my grandchildren's home. It's where we've done business. Tom and I both had businesses for forever. You need somebody who's passionate, somebody who knows the community. And I looked at what was happening at the Tarrant County Court with the commissioner's court because the county judge is head of the commissioner's court. Um, we are losing the county judge who served for 20 plus years. We're losing a commissioner who served for 36 mm -hmm. years. We're losing another commissioner who was fairly new, but brought a different dynamics, a great dynamics to it. And in two years, we're going to lose the next two commissioners who have been there for both of them, I guess, for 20 plus years also. So you're losing all the experienced leadership at the county and you do need young, creative people there, but you also have to have some backbone of leadership and passion for your community, somebody who knows something about it. And I loved county government when I was tax assessor. Mm -hmm. We also may very well lose our county administrator who's been there 30 plus years, who runs the day-to-day -day operation. So you have a, a a huge hole in Tarrant County in the next this year and the next two years following that. Um, and I just looked at the field and, and felt like there wasn't anyone who had stepped up to the plate who had the experience or the passion or the knowledge of county government to really come in and run a brand new court and set the county on the vision that a county, we're the 15th largest county in the nation. 
needs to be stepping up and moving forward. Um, it's not particularly criticism of any of them, but the county has kind of been a very functional county, but not grown a lot in, um, in what they've done. And I think Tarrant County can be a leader in that. And the county judge actually, the reason you learn so much about the county judge during the pandemic is because the county judge is the chief emergency mm -hmm. director for the county in any public emergency whether that's a train that overturns and leaks or whether it's a pandemic. Okay, so, and, and that's important to, to bring up because the position has become extremely more important. You have to have people that are thoughtful, level-headed, um, aren't just going for clickbait and media highlights, right? I mean, because it's, the power there is, is significant. Mm -hmm. And I it's mean, a partisan office. Right. And so, but you, in my opinion, clearly I'm a conservative. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to have somebody there that's conservative to keep the finances in shape, mm -hmm. to try to keep property taxes in control, to keep public health on the right footing, to get the right people running the county hospital, working with the mental health department, working with senior services. But it can't be just someone who's only interested in one side of the coin. You yeah, have you can't to be work too far everybody. right or it's you gonna- you, It just will backfire. Yeah. I mean, you can't, I guess you could be, but you better be willing to move and listen to people. It's kind of like when you're mayor, you never give up your conservative values, mm -hmm. but you certainly do visit and talk with a lot of people and get a lot of input and, because people need to know that you care and people need to know that you're listening. They don't need to know that you're off on the left or, or, or on the right, only thinking about what your ideology is. So you had a good working relationship with the prior um county judge i believe right mm -hmm. yeah judge Whitley. and so you because i got a vision of all this I, I, I wanted to understand and so the you sit the county commissioners effectively sit on the county court and you run the the, the, the judge runs the court yeah, it's kind of yeah. like the it's just like the mayor runs the council right. just because I've, I've dialed into some of those now just mm -hmm. to just to see you know how Jenkins interacting and who mine, I didn't even know who mine was. Now, most people don't know who their commissioners right. are. And, and All counties have a court of five, yeah. a judge and four commissioners in Texas. Yeah. Every single county has. So JJ is ours, who I've actually had some dialogue with. Who's, I mean, it, I'll give him this. He is a guy that will literally pick up the phone, which I so appreciate because, I mean, how many thousands of people are under him? Thousands. Um, or he'll respond to emails better. or call you back. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's definitely highlighted. So uh, where can somebody learn about, you know, more of your values concerning this, the, the, your, what you would bring? Like, I mean, to, they to... can go to Betsy Price for County Judge okay. uh, and see it. They can go to my Facebook page, Betsy for County. Um, don't go there and troll, though. We don't, no. we don't want that. Well, <laughs> if they do troll, that's, so, yeah. that's fine, too. Yeah. Um, they can just, you know, they can Google my name. After 20 years of serving the public office, an awful lot pops up about you. I would caution the average voter, though. They need to be very careful about who's running and find out who people really are. What are they saying about their opponents? Is it true or is it just stretching the truth out? And that's true on either side of the aisle. People who don't have the experience and the passion to really run and administer, administer whether you're at the city or whether you're at the county, tend to stretch what they have. And, and p voters ought to really be looking at what's the truth here and what is somebody really going to bring to the table? Well, let, let me see if I can play to people's hearts here. And this goes on both sides of the aisle is if somebody holds themselves out as a Christian, 
the idea is to behave like Christ mm-hmm. or, or even a, even a Buddhist behave like Buddha or whoever that would be. Behave within your So faith. you see somebody just espousing lies and it maybe even half truths, but just with vile and hate, I would look at that person and say, is that now what's, that's not, you can't be right. You, you can't, can't feed both, both lions. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I realize in, in politics, it's it's a blood sport, and there's not a lot we can do about it. But, you know, but I've it, seen some of the attacks level that you, let's put it that way. Um, and I don't think that, you know, one, I know they aren't true. Two, I think it's um, it's not representation of, of somebody that is, um, and I don't know this person's faith anyhow, but like, I don't know, bad behavior. Yeah, it's, it's you know, when I believe when you judge other people, you've stepped across the line on your faith. Right. If you're a believer of any kind, you, you should leave that judging up to whoever right. your God is. Yeah. Ultimately, that we're all here to serve and not to judge other people. God bless you for being in the uh, in the arena for so long. And one thing I appreciate about you. I may be crazy, but right. crazy is well, not always bad. I had this conversation with my church. Okay, uh, Just like every church, we've had people leave. Either over we masked too long, we were shut down for too long, um, our pastor is, 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 is deeply involved in um, the social justice movement and that, you know, some people think it's too much, mm-hmm. um, but people were leaving. And so I asked the head of deacons, what can we do? And he said, look, these people are leaving and just leaving. Why don't they come to the deacons? Why don't they come to you? And we'll get a conversation with your, the head pastor. I've just been a believer. And so I so appreciate you of, you can sit around and complain and bitch, for lack of a better word, or how about going to do something about yeah. it, right? And you just stepped in and said, okay, I'm going to see if I can go, you know, fix the tax assessor collector's office. Yeah, um, and I, you know, we, my reputation is as a fixer, but I have, I struggle with people who are complaining about things who don't offer a solution. Right. Bring to the table, and I used to tell people when they came in the mayor's office, you're welcome to come. I'm willing to listen to your ideas. Don't just bring your complaints, bring me some solutions. Right. And if if we're going to do anything, and that's what you have to do, you have to be willing to be thoughtful and bring solutions to the table and listen to other people. You can't always implement them, but sometimes you can take a part of what their solution is and implement it. I mean, I've learned more things from average Joe citizens and changed more things based on their recommendations than on my own. I never... I got no pride in authorship. I mean, I'll yeah. take it where you can get it. I mean, I would encourage listeners just to start, you nailed it, listening a little bit more. Listen. So I'm on, an, I'm in a 21 day reset of my life. Um, not that it, like it was falling apart, just I do this every, every year. And one of them is I'm going to go on a silent retreat on Friday afternoon where I want 24 hours of no talking, no phone. Now I'm already trying to figure out do I have enough reading materials to actually consume yeah. me for those that time frame. But it, it it's like learn to listen. Um, okay, so we're listening gonna... is is a skill that is not taught like it should right. be. People need to listen. You really do. You you you'd be amazed if you stop. Because more often than not, people find themselves listening to somebody, only they're not listening. They're thinking, okay, I'm going to jump in when they finish, and I'm going to say so-and-so. Yeah. That's not listening. Not even processing what's Mm -hmm. being said to them. Okay, so I'm going to try to keep us within an hour close to it. Okay. So we'll move into some um, 
a few things and we'll go over a little bit, but what, what would you tell, and I, and I picked this age because I think it's the beginning formation. What would you tell your 16 year old self today? Oh gosh, people have asked me that before. And sometimes it's 12, sometimes it's 16, sometimes it's 18. You know, it's really hard to say because I think your family when you're 16 really shapes so much of what, mm -hmm. you, if you have a family who is listening and teaching you things. And if you're listening as a teenager and don't just decide your parents are idiots, which all of us have done that at some point, mm -hmm. um, I would probably tell my 16 year old self to listen more, be willing to take a few more risks. I was not much of a risk taker. Um, well, that changed apparently. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> or maybe I was, it was just a little bit different. Um, know Wayne that's hard to say exactly what I'd tell that person just be committed yeah know? and I, the be risk is, is important take more risks I, I was with you I was scared of everything to be mm -hmm. honest with you and that changed throughout some events in my life and that like just be bold and brave is what I tell my kids too this is now I'm hopping to what I would tell but I think I just tell myself it's all gonna be okay yeah I would it's say all gonna it's, work out it's all gonna work out it's right? all in God's hands all that stress all and that even worry. if you think the very worst has happened to you it won't be the worst thing it's that not happened yeah to you. and risk taking I mean I can remember saying to a friend of mine something about I think I would have taken more risk and she went to school with me forever and she said we all thought you were the most fearless person that ever was that you'd take more risks than anybody because even then you'd run for office in right. high school and do things i said no probably not but i think I, you'd give the same advice i tell poor more people this was said to me before i ran this long race in colorado and i was worried that i was going to die and i almost did um but my coach i call him the night before looking for all this okay we need to hit the pace at this level and that he just said this his name is james fitzgerald he said get comfortable with being uncomfortable that's a good and that's that was good advice it. i mean he goes no more talking that's it yeah it's a pretty good way to your, yeah, live your that's life a good way yeah my i did uh the last mayor's try and i yeah. was, had been dealing with the racial unright and the pandemic and everything else and i said to my trainer i'm nowhere near prepared to do this and mm -hmm. he said go and enjoy it you don't have to win it yeah exactly okay what do you do daily that could help others or what are habits or routines? And I'll just set that up a little bit. Like you're I, just so the listener knows that's a huge biker always has been cyclist cyclist. Good point. There's Big a difference. difference. I always tell good people difference. the difference is bikers wear leather right? and uh, cyclists wear lycra. So again, daily habits or routines that you could do fairly consistently. I exercise six days a week mm -hmm. and minimum of an hour a day because it makes me feel better mm -hmm. nothing and it's not just cycling because i swim some and lift mm -hmm. weights two days a week and it all just depends it's the best even when we had children small children i did it because it's the best way to take your mind off of what's consuming you at the moment mm -hmm. five minutes on your bike and you've forgotten all about free antidepressants yeah, right yeah, yeah it's free antidepressants you've forgotten all about what was bugging you instead you're focused on can i get there or even walking with your buddies. It's great therapy to get out and walk with your friends and be able to just talk about everything or mm -hmm. get in the pool and swim a little bit, whether you're a swimmer or not. It's just, it's amazing what it, it's just amazing what it does for you. It gets you through the day and it keeps you able to think. It makes your brain better. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd say, you know, everybody 
we all talk about praying and and I, I struggle sometimes. I do open my day with prayer commitment every morning, but I would like to find more time to do a Bible study mm-hmm. a little bit every day. And I do it sporadically, but enough that I can still say I do it. But it's just but what I hear but from the you exercises. Is, yeah, move your body. Every move day. your body. Because yeah. God gave you that body for a reason and, and it will make you healthier and it makes you eat better. It make it'll make you a better parent and a better boss. Yeah, what I'm working on with this guy, so I got 27 guys that signed up for this 21-day reset that I'm running with a guy named Noel Boucher, is all I task him with is 15 minutes. That's it. Brisk walk. One, I know that they can do that, right? Right. You can't be too busy for that. I don't care if you make phone calls, but move every day. Okay. Yeah, you know, I do an hour, but, you know, truly 15 minutes a day is, and set a goal. I, you know, I reevaluate every month where, mm-hmm. where my goals are. What's my goal for this month? That's it may be get 30 minutes more sleep, Right. talk to my husband 30 minutes more a day or something, you know, it, right. but it's, it's little things. And if you don't set goals and you don't reevaluate them, I think backing up on you a little bit, that mm-hmm. was one reason we were successful in the, both the tax office and the mayor's office is because twice a year we sat down with our team and said, we said we were doing this this year. And at the end of 10 years in both offices, I looked at my first swearing-in speech, and we'd hit every point that we intended to hit, only by focusing on them. Love it. Yeah, and and yeah. And it's the same thing with your own life. Yeah, little goals and checking in on those. Check goals. them. Take a little bite. Yeah, eat an elephant. Okay, so the fast five um, is just where I just say the big five Fs in a sentence to a word reaction. By design, this is not scripted, so I'm going to just start those and faith. Important. Family. Number one. Number one. Friends. Critical. Fitness. Essential. Yeah, we just talked about that. Mm-hmm. Finances. Well, I always kind of struggle with what to say about that. Finances are at the backbone of everything you mm-hmm. do. Right. So really, it's it's central, integral. Mm-hmm. So with that. We're, I failed your top five, didn't I? No, you did great. <laughs> that, that's the beauty of it. Is there a right or wrong answer? Um, well, thank you for being on here. You know, in, in the McCullough Cornelius um, household, that I, I, I said this at Christmas that, um, you know, blood is thicker than water. And I told it, so we circled up. Y'all were home with COVID. Yes, we um, were, but, unfortunately. But I got to um, give a little bit of a speech, and mm-hmm. I said to the, to, to the cousins and everybody, and I said, look, there's going to be a time when your back's going to be against the wall and there's really only a handful of people you can call on. And that is in this room right here, right? You're going to have friends that are, that are, but nothing, there's certain things you can tell family or lean on family that you're going to need. So I so appreciate that. I'm going to close with We've this. We've been run. very blessed that our family has, is a big clan and has stayed very much together. Agreed. We sometimes want to kill each other, but other than that, so as we head into um, the close here, I want to read an invocation that the Senate chaplain Barry Black read to the Senate. Um, and I think it really struck with me. So as you head off into political office, I'm going to read this. So I'll read this as we close. But Betsy, thank you, Aunt Betsy. Um, you've meant the world to me. I, you've been a backbone to the family, a, a strong woman, which is, we didn't really get into that. It's meant the world to me. And, um, a lot of the most important people in my life are women that have 
impressed on me, and I have so much respect for that. So, Thank you, Wayne. So an invocation from the Senate Chaplain Barry Black. Help our lawmakers remember that patriots reside on both sides of the aisle, that words have consequences, and that how something is said can be as important as what is said. Give them a civility built upon integrity that brings consistency in their beliefs and actions. Let, this, let his prayer for the Senate be our prayer for the nation and for us. That's very good. I'll give you that. I'd um, love to have it. So with that, dear listeners, thank you for joining. Um, you can check us out online, Simple Talk, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you, Aunt Betsy, and God bless you. Bless you too, Wayne. Thank you. Thank you.